So we're uh, looking at the book of Mark. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 3 today. Um, what we're understanding, the big picture, is that life is a test. Uh, it is. Uh, and it's orchestrated by God. There's a lot of components to it. Um, it's a struggle. It's a difficult test. All tests are hard. Um, maybe the most difficult thing is the test of life reveals the truth, like good tests do. Um, in Jesus' case, we keep seeing the test reveal his uh, deity, his perfection, his holiness, his goodness, his faith. Um, what we see in ourselves is a lot of room to grow. Uh, we see the truth about how we are unlike our Lord and our Savior and our King. But this is part of the process. We are tested, and not only tested, but we're transformed. We're moved. And so we're looking at these passages, not just to learn about Jesus' life, as remarkable as it is, but we're learning how to be what God wants us to be. In summary, we take that from Jesus when he was asked, what's it all boil down to? He said, well, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your being, all your strength, and love others. He said, the second thing is a lot like the first one, love others like you love yourself. And then later, in, 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 uh, we take this particularly from the end of the book of Matthew, but there are references to it throughout the New Testament. He said, go and make disciples. So love God, love uh, others, and help those that are far from God find their way back to God. So we, we're looking at those things in sort of nested series in the midst of Mark. We talked about worship. We talked about relationship and love last week. We talked about um, worship in the sense that uh, the question of, are you God-centric? Is, is your life, does your life revolve around him? I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, today. Um, and and are, we, are we loving? Are we, are we friend-prioritized? Right? Do we, we used to say at, at the camp I used to work at in, in college was we had the I'm third award. You know, you understood that God was first and others are second, and I'm third. The I'm third word always went to that humble, deferential, giving, generous person that always put others above themselves. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be missional. That's kind of the way we capture the third value. If the first one, loving God is worshipful and loving others is relational, then the third one, loving those that are far from God, is what we call missional. And we're going to draw some things out of Mark chapter 3 with regard to mission. Let me read uh, verses 7 through 21. Um, I'll read it pretty directly. There's a bug right there. just went for a ride. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it. because Some of it's a little confusing. But I'm going to work through these verses. Some of them will pop up there. Some of them won't. But if, you're, if you have a Bible, we're looking at Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. Okay, I'll try to read kind of slowly here so you can track. So Jesus says, withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed him. Um, 
And when they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. He, he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Then Jesus went up to a mountainside and he called to him those that he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that, they might, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then he names them, those 12 or some of them including Judas Iscariot, who eventually betrays him. They were among the ones he called and appointed. Then, probably not too long after, Jesus entered a house. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him because they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed. And they were also saying, he has an impure spirit. And there's a big section of text, I'm going to paraphrase, where Jesus essentially says, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. And that wouldn't make any sense at all. That's essentially what he says in a whole little section of parables. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot going on. What is going on here? Let me try to summarize this. You probably can see the picture. People are flocking to Jesus from all over. He's healed. So many people that diseased people are coming and they're trying to, they're clamoring to just touch him because it's been reported, if you just do that, you're going to get healed. So there's tons of people coming, and they're just, they're just going after him. Some of those people are described as impure. And they fall down, and they cry out, you're the son of God. And then Jesus tells them, forbids them, to tell anybody about him. It all gets so intense that he has to separate himself with water in a boat to keep from being overrun. <laughs> That's what's going on. Can you picture that? You got that in your head? Okay, so here's what we've learned, at least a little bit of what we've learned in the first parts of Mark. Jesus has... A thing. He's got this X factor. He is monumentally compelling. When people listen to him, T 
teach, they don't just go, oh, it's a very good thought. They, their minds are changed and their lives are impacted. Like that's when they say he taught with authority. What people were saying was, he, he makes me want to be different. It's not, I'm not just receiving information. It, he compelled some kind of change. That, that's what we've been seeing already, just in a few chapters in Mark. But what we see here is the results of his authority, the results of, of him, isn't just changing their thinking and their life. It's not just intellectually compelling. It's not just purpose driving. They're getting some kind of a palpable reward for getting near him. Like they're receiving something that they've always wanted. In most cases, it's some kind of physical healing. What we read throughout the scriptures is it's all kinds of healing. The people are recognizing the problems that they have can be rid of if they, if they get to him. If they, can, if they can get his attention. And they also have learned that part of the ticket is to worship him. This is what they've heard. If you worship him, he'll heal you. So they're showing up, and they're falling on their knees, and they're saying, you're the son of God. And we know that they're not sincere. This is why they're referred to as impure. They're faking it. What? <laughs> I would love to sit with each one of you and go, what, are you think, what do you think about when you read these verses? What, what, what happens to you when, you when you imagine this picture? We all tend to read scripture, if we're not careful, through our own grid and our own experience. We read it kind of the way we maybe want to read it, or we read it read into the, what we want to hear. For example, <laughs> I spent a lot of days looking at this passage entirely wrong. As a lead pastor, I was reading this thing going, man, this guy really knows how to fill up a church. And you can understand why I might be thinking that way because the churches are not filling up. Our church is not filling up. No church is filling up right now. Churches are in decline. And I'm like, maybe I could learn some things from Jesus about how to get a whole bunch of people to come around. Literally, for days, I was like, this is awesome. They're coming from places I've never even heard of. Tyre and Sidon. Maybe we can get people to come to church 
That's where my head, I don't know what you think about, but it's likely that you think about Scripture often like any human does, and we read it through our own grid. Now, my, my, my view in yours, my, it not, it's not necessarily ill-motivated. Like, I truly, deeply want people to be compelled by Jesus and to find Jesus and to be helped by Jesus. That's, I really, really want that. I don't want, I, I'm not interested in just a lot of people. I, I like what's happening in that, in that picture. And I want it, and I want that. I, I want people to come from all over. And there's a part of me that wonders, like, why doesn't that happen? What am I doing wrong? What's wrong with our church? What's wrong with the church? I don't know, what do you latch on to? What, 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 what pops out at you? It's not necessarily wrong at, that you see certain things in there. It might, not, it might not mean exactly what's going on, but what do you see? Uh, do, you, do you see how Jesus needed rest and space? Does that surprise you? Do you think about the dynamics of preaching across water? It's actually a pretty good place to preach. Sound carries really well across water. Might have been a dual purpose of getting in that boat, getting some separation, but then he could just he could preach to like more people standing all along the thing. Do you notice that Jesus enjoyed the beach as much as he enjoyed the mountains? Most people, it's one or the other. Like, <laughs> you know, my family's gone to the beach for like forty-five years, and my brother-in-law's like, "Should we go to the mountains some year?" And we're all like. What? Why would you do that? There's no beach. <clears throat> what about the demonic activity? Maybe that catches your attention. What, what about the authority given to drive out demons? What do you do with that? Or maybe you, maybe you just know somebody who needs healing and you can't figure out how, or you do, and maybe you can't figure out how to touch Jesus or how to get Jesus to do something about the pain. I've been on, I've been on the phone with my cousin this morning whose son is in a horrible situation. Um, it's COVID-related, and it's bad, and I guess things have changed again. No one's allowed to visit him. It's infuriating. It's as though the medical community has forgotten how important community and touch and encouragement, particularly those that are in a dark, scary place that causes them to want to give up, how important it is for people to be physically present and invite them to live on. It's infuriating, frustrating. And we pray that Jesus would show up in that room and touch him and heal him. There's something going on here. There is something going on here. And, and we need to let the text and the whole narrative of Mark tell us what is going on here, where we risk missing the point. So let's just remember 
pretty quickly here. What we've learned. Jesus is the anointed son of God. He was baptized and the, and the spirit of God came down and said, and then the voice of God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then that same spirit drives him out into the wilderness where he is tested. And we see some very critical things here. Remember, we learned through Jesus' test that life is about more than this physical life. Remember that? It's about more than bread. It's about bread. You got to eat bread, but it's about more than that. Second, we see in Jesus' testing that God doesn't exist to be manipulated for our best life. You ever, you ever prayed those prayers? Oh, man, right? Jesus makes it clear. He doesn't fall for that trap, giving offered the opportunity to be maximized. Jesus says, no, that's not God's way. And then third, we see in Jesus' life and his testing in there that following Jesus isn't about I just combined those two tonight. There's two. We don't manipulate God for our advantage. And we are not in this life to have our, to God, God maximize our life. We see in the, in, the, in the verses that follow that Jesus is clearly God. That he forgives sin. He reminded us that the, the religious disciplines and the obediences and the commands that God gave us are not for earning God's favor, but for breaking the spells of this world that keep us from worshiping God. We see that Jesus elevates the love of others to the priority just behind loving God. And we see that Jesus is on mission. He's on a mission to find and to bring all those of faith into eternal fullness and into his mission. Jesus is gathering those of faith into his eternal family, filling them with his spirit and calling them and sending them into his very mission. And when we see Jesus retreating to the mountains, we also see him returning to the priorities of mission. And we learn some things. Four things, maybe five. About Jesus' core mission, our mission, as Jesus' followers. He teaches us in, in great brevity here, but in great depth about mission. Listen again to what it says. Jesus went up on the mountainside. He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him. And that he might send them to preach and to drive out demons. Four things, maybe five of which I'm going to get to three. Thing number one about mission is to be with him. We don't think about that very much. To be on mission first is to be with him. To never leave the space of our own relationship 
and worship of Jesus. If you leave that space when you're on mission, you are not on mission for God. I've shared this exercise with some groups of people this week. So some of you may be hearing this for the second time. Illustrating relationship with Jesus. If you're comfortable, I would like you to close your eyes or at least bow your heads. Distract, move your eyes away from me and any other distraction. Maybe just stare at the floor of your shoes or something. But if you're comfortable closing your eyes, I would suggest it. Here's what I want you to do. Picture Jesus sitting in front of you. His eyes are looking into your eyes. His smile is encouraging. It's uh, patient. Just picture Jesus. His posture is calm. It's unassuming. He's just there, and it's comfortable, and he's looking at you, and he's content, and you're fine. Hold, this, hold that image, Jesus. I'll give you a second. Jesus is sitting across from you. Imagine it. It's good. He is good. Okay. Sorry to have you let that go. It's a good place. You can open your eyes. I want you to ask yourself this question. Was that little exercise an escape from reality or a move into reality? Are you saying to yourself, that was just my imagination? It wasn't real. But here's the question. When are you closer to reality? When you're holding a picture of Jesus' presence in your mind or when you're, or when you're going about your day forgetting that he is with you? Right? Which is more real? That Jesus is with you as he promised he would always be? Or is it more real to be going through your day without Jesus' presence? You don't have to worry about whether or not you get the details of Jesus' face, right? That's not the point. The point is that when you picture him with you, you're holding on to a biblical truth. And when you're busy and you're bogged down in the details of life without consciously thinking about Jesus, you've forgotten what's true. Your imagination, call it sanctified imagination, of the reality of Jesus' presence is more real than your preoccupied mind with everything else going on in the world. You could call it prayer, if you'd like. Paul says, pray continuously. And if you do this enough, you pray and imagine this enough, you'll become even more familiar with Jesus. You'll want to know him more. He will likely speak to you in some way at some point. 
And if those words that you hear are consistent with Scripture and are are affirmed by the community of believers in your life, those words can be as real and as inspiring as Jesus himself. There are plenty of words that we know he spoke, and we can know he's saying those words to us. When you open the scriptures and you read the words of Jesus, you can rest assured those words are meant for you, for your encouragement. We have a great privilege of being with God. Always. The question is whether or not the call of Jesus is rewarded by our answer. He went to the mountains and he picked 12 people to come and be with him. And he has picked you to come and be with him. The question is, do we? And the point I'm making, and the point that Jesus is making, is this is the beginning of the purposes and the mission of our life. Stay with him. And worship him. I said I was going to mention some things about worship, and so I I think it might be helpful. What, What do we mean when we say we're worshipful? What do you mean when you say you're worshipful? What do we mean when I ask you to be worshipful? We've seemed to always kind of boil it down to this idea that we are God-centric, which means what? Well, let me answer this question. Do all and every aspect of your life humbly revolve around God? It's not all too different than imagine yourself being with Jesus. To be worshipful of God is to say in every situation, in every space, what do you want, God? What do you think, God? What should I do, God, with all that you've given me and the opportunities before me? What is it of you that you would like to do with and through me? It's about you. It's not about me. That's worship. Do you know how God thinks? Do you know how God thinks? Do you know what he expects? Do you know what he's like? Do you know what he's up to? Finding those things out, which are findable, it's the, it's the beauty of our scriptures. We have, we have pages and pages and notes and notes and books and ideas and thoughts and narratives from across history that show us how God interacts with the world. You can read the scriptures and begin to understand and inculcate how God thinks, what he expects, how he interacts, what he's like, what he's up to. It is worshipful to have him at the center of all things and to have him at the center of what we want to know more than anything else. And then... Maybe the most practical part of worship is that once we begin to understand who God is and put him at the center of his life, do we worship him by allowing our lives or compelling our lives to adapt to him? 
That is worship. When I want to go this way, or I want to do this thing, but my God-centric understanding of him causes me or compels me to go this way, and I do that, that is worship. Being worshipful isn't just an hour on Sunday or a set of ideas that we embrace. Worship is an intentional putting of God at the center that becomes a way of life. It is something to be immersed into a lifelong pursuit. Part of Jesus' great commission went like this, and you've heard it before. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we tend to think of that strictly as Jesus telling his apostles and and those that are believers to immerse other believers in water and out. And we do that because we've seen it done in Scripture. But listen to these verses That's the context of this. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, dipping them in water. It doesn't quite work, does it? Do you think Jesus' intention was for all, that he has been given all authority, go into the world and dip people in water? No, we do that as a symbol of a change of life. We we value baptism. But this word is to immerse. And metaphorically, which is really more of how Jesus is speaking here, it means to overwhelm. Read it that way. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go and make learners of me, of nations. How? By immersing, overwhelming them in the name. He told them to baptize them into the name of the Father. And he told them where to immerse them. Teach them to be immersed, to worship in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I've shown you the whole picture. Now go and get people deeply into this whole thing. Jesus took these 12 to the mountain. And he said, I want you to be on mission with me, but it starts by being with me and worshiping me with all of your being. The Old Testament says it like this. Listen, O people of God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You 
You're not, not sure if you're a worshiper? Make it your top priority to figure it out. Get together with some other believers. We got groups of believers all over the place, all over the city. You got to be together with some other believers because together we're trying to figure out how to be worshipful. It all begins right there. All right, thing number two. <laughs> I said I was going to get the three out of five. I got a little crazy on worship right there. I had 37 seconds. <clears throat> thing two. He says, I'm going to send you to preach. Go preach. Be with me. Worship me. Go preach. Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. What are you supposed to do? You supposed to preach? The first thing you have to do is the second thing that God taught us to do or teaches us to do or compels us to do is to make others more important than yourself. If you're going to preach, you're going to have to make margin. You're going to have to have time. You're going to have to care about other people more than yourself. You're going to have to put aside your own agendas to preach, to teach. You've got you to gotta let those that are far from God take the priority in your life. You got to ask questions like, how much do I really prioritize others over and against myself? How generous am I with the resources that God's given me? Maybe the most precious of which is time. And then what are you going to talk about? I'll tell you about this and then I'll come back to these other things next week. I think the simplest thing to tell people about is what Jesus has recently told you about. There's some very basic things that we can tell other people about that we've learned in Scripture, but you don't have to be a theologian to preach. You just have to be someone who's heard from Jesus and has decided to follow him. And for the most part, that's the sum total of the truth of the gospel. <laughs> One of my favorite songs, of which I don't know the title or, or the singer. That's how my brain works. Is talking about how awesome God is. And in the midst of that song... Every time when she starts just throwing her own words in there, she says, I know it's true because I met with him this morning. <laughs> I know how great he is because I just met with him this morning. That's one of the most compel compelling lyrics of any song I've ever heard. That's some serious preaching. That's some serious truth. Be with Jesus. 
Read scripture. Pray with others. Hear from him. Listen and obey and tell people about that. And then hit him with this. God wants to talk to you too. Because I realized something. The way all of those people were flocking to Jesus is the same way people come to Jesus today. And you know what that is? Somebody told them what he did. They had no nothing to get the word out. No social media, no email, no texting, nothing. The only way people from Sidon were traveling over here was because somebody went to Sidon and said, you got to hear what I heard Jesus say and what I saw Jesus do. That's preaching. We have this diagram with a piece or a sign upside, whatever, and there's three quadrants to this pie, and it says hearing and obeying and helping others to hear and obey. That's the very core of discipleship, the very core of mission, is I'm with Jesus, I'm worshiping him, I'm hearing from him, and it's being confirmed by scripture in my community, and I'm obeying in very simple, practical ways, and I invite other people into that story, and then I immediately say, what is God saying to you? And here's the other things we'll talk about next week. Number three, driving out demons. Now these demons, this was false Christianity, were called to reject false worship. There's a lot of it. And four is to recognize that you're not qualified, but it doesn't matter. And, well, you're qualified. I'm not teaching on this yet. That's just a teaser. And five is to expect God movement to be overwhelming and to even seem chaotic and not very understandable at times. So um, let me take you, give you a second here. Nancy's going to keep playing. I want you to just to reflect for about 90 seconds and remember this. God's up to something. He's up to something with you. It starts with him, it moves to hearing and obeying, and it evolves into mission, and all of that circles back to more worship with more people. Where are you in the process? Maybe you just need to spend some time with him and wait. Hearing doesn't always come right away. Maybe you're hearing but you haven't obeyed. Maybe you're obeying, but you're not telling about it. Just give some of that some thought, and then uh, Justin will wrap it up here in just a little bit.